Welcome back. I'm Carrie. And I'm Cassandra. And this is Too Good to Be True. And we are um, on our one year anniversary. Happy anniversary. On hot anniversary. Yeah. So we have officially been doing this for a year now. And to honor our anniversary, we decided to do kind of a special series. It's like a four part. Yeah. No. So like we said last week, it's it's behind the Godfather. It's the the character of the Godfather in the movie The Godfather is based on four individual mobsters. And we're gonna be covering each of those four actual people, you know, that the fictional character is based on. And we're going to be starting out our first of the four episodes with the Godfather himself, Carlo Gambino, which that was actually one of his nicknames. And that. So before I dive into it, I'll go quickly over how the mafia families are organized so you understand, you know, who's the boss and who's next in line and how all that trickles down. So at the top of your pyramid, you have the bosses. Then underneath them, you have your underbosses, which, you know, are kind of like your manager, assistant manager. Mm-hmm. Then you have your consigliers, and they are called upon basically more or less to mediate disputes. And then you have below them your captains or capos, and they supervise crews comprised of soldiers and associates, which is usually up to 50 to 100 associates in a crew. And then the crews specialize in different areas, like gambling, lung sharking, that kind of stuff. They have their own little niche areas, little specialty areas. Yeah. So, Carlo Gambino was born in Palermo, Italy on August 24th, 1902. So this episode's actually going to come out on his birthday. And if he was still alive, be 121 years old. Woo. Which would suck. I couldn't imagine. Yeah, that wouldn't be very fun. Look at that lady in that video. <laughs> that I said, yeah. I don't mean the one that just wanted to die. It's so funny. I saw that video about dying. I about died because I was like, this lady is just keeping it real. What did she say? I may have been, a, I may as well have been a tree. <laughs> and I've seen fuck all. I may as well have been a tree. <laughs> So anyway, uh, I guess happy birthday, Carlo Gambino. Happy birthday. Not the day this comes out. Not that you were a stellar dude. So he came from a family involved with a mafia gang in Paso di Regano, which you're all going to have to forgive me on my Italian pronunciations. I did look them up and I'm trying, but there is no way it's going to be authentic coming from me. Like, I'm not going to be able to be like, Paso di Regano. Like, I right. no, like, on, not, sounds yeah, I am not. Yeah, I'm not good about I don't have. I have 1% Italian in me, according to the ancestry DNA, and it's not enough to be doing all that. Yeah. He had two brothers, Gasperi who was not involved with the Mafia, and Paolo, who was a member of the Gambino crime family. His parents, Tommaso Gambino and Felice Castellano, were Italian immigrants. He dropped out of high school and took a job as an enforcer for Don Vito Cassiofero, who was the head of the Honored Society in Sicily. 
and then he was formally initiated into the Mahya at age 19. In the early 1920s, fascism was growing in popularity in Italy, and its leader, Benito Mussolini, wanted to destroy the Mafia. So Gambino was like, get the fuck out of here. And in November of 1921, he snuck into the U.S. as a stowaway on the SS Vincenzo Florio, arriving a month later in Norfolk, Virginia. He joined his cousins, the Castellanos, in New York City and worked for a small trucking firm owned by his uncle's family. So his family, they were bootleggers during Prohibition. All right. So if you're not from the U.S. and you're not up on your what stupid-ass rules have we made, Prohibition was a time in the 20s where they just banned alcohol. Just banned it altogether. Yeah, and they were just yeah. like, you can't drink anymore. No fun for you. Goodbye. I think it had religious reasons for the. I don't know. I don't, I can't quite remember. I don't remember much about prohibition. I do remember learning about it, but I don't. I know. Yeah, I just I know it was banned. I know they had speakeasies and stuff. Right. It was like all like honestly, the drivers like yeah, moonshine. Yeah. And then fun fact near where I lived in Louisiana was Whiskey Bay, which got its name from bootleggers bringing whiskey into the Bay Area. That much, I know, and uh, the rest of it, not so much. But that's what right. they were doing. They were bootleggers, you know, selling illegal liquor. His family rented a small apartment for him near the Brooklyn waterfront, and later he moved to a modest house in Brooklyn, and he had a summer home in Massapequa on Long Island. The Long Island house was a two-story brick house with statues on the front lawn overlooking South Oyster Bay. By the 1930s, he was working for Vincent Mangano, the boss who controlled the Brooklyn waterfront. Under Mangano, Gambino learned how to run several mob rackets, including loan sharking, numbers, and cargo theft. Fun. He was promoted to capo at age 29, and he chose his cousin Paul Castellano to be in his crew. He was then involved in a criminal group led by Joe Masseria. In the early 1930s, there was a conflict between this Masseria and another boss named Salvatore Maranzano, and that led to a violent war known as the Castellamarisa. I don't know. It's There's a lot of shit going on with this word. It's like a conglomeration of out the name. Out the name. It's, yeah. I so get where you're going. Hasta La Marisa War. I believe is the closest I'm going to get to a proper pronunciation. During this time, Gambino got into trouble with the law. He was arrested a few times on different charges, but some of the cases were dropped or they ended up resolving them when he paid restitution. As the war between Masseria and Maranzano continued, Lucky Luciano saw an opportunity to switch sides. So, all of these dudes play a part. Like, I know I'm supposed to be talking about Gambino, but all of this stuff ties in with him. They're all going at each other and doing little secret plots and going to kill each other. And it just all ends up in this big web of all of these guys being interconnected. And he's... All of this stuff happening and all of these dudes just killing each other ultimately is what ends up with him in charge. So it's kind of okay through all of this. So this lucky Luciano guy, 
he struck a secret deal with Maranzano to have Massaria killed, and in return, Luciano would gain Massaria's criminal operations and become Maranzano's right-hand man. In 1931, Massaria was assassinated, and Maranzano took over as the boss. So this is where we end up with the five families. This Maranzano reorganized the Italian-American gangs in New York City into five families headed by Luciano, Profaci, Galliano, uh, Mangano, and, of course, himself. And then Maranzano declared himself the boss of all bosses. The boss of all bosses? Yeah, so he, he formed the five families, you know, the big powerful debates. Five family. And as he decided that since he's the one that put it all together, he's the big honcho. He's the big boss of bosses. Well, however, Luciano saw Maranzano as too greedy and inflexible. He knew that Maranzano wanted to eliminate him, so Luciano took action first and had Maranzano killed in September 1931. So it's just like, they're all just at, all just at each other, yeah. yeah. Afterward, Luciano proposed the idea of the Commission, a governing body for organized crime, during a meeting in Chicago with other bosses. The Commission's purpose was to settle disputes and decide which families controlled different territories, ensuring peace and preventing future gang wars if they can all stop killing each other. But this supposedly was supposed to be, you know, the solution to this. These guys just knocking each other off, you know, they're going to set up official territories and official things that each guy would be over and then that way you know they wouldn't be killing each other or so the same stuff like yeah like would know like this is your territory this right it's like one of them would be over like the brooklyn water right another one would be over like manhattan or whatever and it's like they would know that hey this is this gang's territory and so they wouldn't be trying to do their it alleviates yeah. People, like, saying, oh, well, you're, like, coming into my, you know... Right. Into my territory. Into my territory, like, get out. Yeah. And Luciano's plan was successful, and the commission became a significant innovation in the world of organized crime. It allowed him to quietly maintain power over all the families and avoid further conflicts. The other bosses all agreed to this idea, and it became a crucial part in their operations. In 1932, Gambino did what people did back then and married one of his cousins. Catherine Castellano, who was Paul Castellano's sister. Remember, Paul was in his crew for a cousin. Yeah, and after he moved over, he put Paul in his crew. Together, they... That was a big thing. People married their cousins. Dude. Have you not heard of England and, like, all the royal families? Well, like, way, way, way back, like... Oh, man, they are still doing that in the I, early 1900s. Like, I know, like, they're trying to keep the blood, you know, pure, whatever, bloodline, like, you know, back to high school with a girl whose parents were cousins. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's not, like, super, super common, but, like, back in the day, like... It's not like they could hop on Tinder. It was kind of whoever was around. Whoever was there. They, at this point in time, figured cousins marrying cousins wasn't that big of a deal. They saw what brothers marrying sisters did to their fucked up kids. But cousins, I mean, technically, it's icky. But, I mean, you do run less of a risk of 
deformities and genetic issues when right. you are away as a cousin. I would not do it, but, you know, to each their own. You're right. Well, together, Carlo and Catherine raised four children, their sons, Tommy, Joseph, and Carlo, and a daughter named Phyllis, who ended up with the last name Sinatra at some point. So I don't know if she married Frank Sinatra's family or something, or if it's just a coincidence. After Masseria died, Gambino and his cousins joined the family led by Vincent Mangana. So there was also this guy, Albert Anastasia, and he was a powerful figure himself. And he officially held the position of underboss in that Mangano family. Okay. During Mangano's 20-year leadership, he didn't like that Anastasia was close to Luciano and this other guy, Costello. They had hired Anastasia without asking for Mangano's permission, which caused conflicts and intense arguments between the two mobsters. So, we have another problem a Bruin. Kill away something. Well, Prohibition ended up getting repealed in 1933, so we can drink again. <laughs> Yay! But Gambino was still involved with illegal liquor sales. He did, he sold contraband liquor. So he ended up dodging liquor taxes doing that, and that way he was able to undercut legitimate sellers. So he was making a ton of money because right, you're going to him. He's like, why would you not if you can get more money that right? Yeah. yeah. So this made him his first fortune. He also stole ration stamps during World War II to make another million. Then in 1937, Gambino was arrested and he spent 22 months in prison at Lewisburg for evading taxes related to running a large distillery in Philadelphia. So he was just right down the road. Wow. Yeah. That's something. I mean, what's his name? Uh, the guy that Scarface. Scarface, he was in Philly. What the hell was his name? Al Capone? Was that, was that his name? I don't remember if that's who Scarface was like. But yeah, yeah, that... Because I'm like, I'm trying to think. Like, I get them mixed up sometimes. I do, the, too. The real like, guy versus, yeah. like, the actor. Oh, yeah, the actor was, like, Al Pacino or whatever. Yeah, right? Yeah, Al Pacino was the actor. So I think I think Al Capone was Is yeah, the real guy of the real... Yeah. I saw it. I have pictures of his cell, actually. Because he was initially in Eastern State Penitentiary down in Philly... I remember when I was saying in that oh. one episode how that was the first prison that was that was built to um, make people regret their crimes. <laughs> and I've toured it several times because it's just a cool place. Yeah, we saw it later. We're down there. I live it. That would be an interesting thing to do. Yeah, you know, and the is then the tour was voiced by uh, what's his name, Steve Machini. He does the the voiceover of the tour. Like if you you can just go and, and just walk around or whatever. Right. They have an actual tour that you can like log into on like a little did you get the headset and do all that stuff? No, we didn't go in there. Oh uh, yeah. Like, we saw it from the outside. I thought it would be a neat thing to do. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I went in and then give you like a little headset with like a little walkie talkie kind of do well or like a Yeah, I was like, taking one of my kids to a concert or something and we drove yeah. past that. And Steve Bashini does like the tour. And then that's in Yeah. So anyway, um, he was there, and then afterwards, he got transferred out to Alcatraz. But he initially was in Eastern State Penitentiary. So these dudes, you know, were on the East Coast, like, look, 
nearby where we are, which is just interesting because, like, when I saw Lewisburg, I was like, oh, shit, that's pretty close. It's pretty close. But, yeah, that's because he was running a distillery in Philly on Hort, Philadelphia. We get so used to calling it Philly. Yeah. On April 19th, 1951, Mangano's brother Philip was found dead near Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. He was murdered alongside his brother, Mangano, on Anastasia's orders in Brooklyn, and, and uh, Vincent Mangano's body was never found. And he was later declared dead after 10 years on October 30th, 1961, by the surrogate's court in Brooklyn. They were filing like, and eh, fuck it. It's believable enough. To he has dead. not showed back up, so... Yeah, it's been long enough. If he was going to come back, he'd come back. Although nobody was arrested for the Mangano murders, it was widely believed that Anastasia was behind the killings. In the mid-1950s, this other guy, Genevieve, wanted to take down Frank Costello, and to do that, he needed to get rid of Mr. Albert Anastasia, the strong ally of Costello and the boss of the Anastasia crime family. So Genovese teamed up with Gambino. So like I said, he does. Hello, it's who I'm doing next time. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to hear about Frank Costello pretty soon. But yeah, so here's Gambino finally trickling back in through after doing his time in Lewisburg. He's teaming up with Genovese. And he was Anastasia's right-hand man, and they were plotting against him. In early 1957, Genovese decided to act against Costello. He told this other guy, Vincent Giganti, to kill Costello, and on May 2nd, 1957, Giganti shot Costello outside his apartment building. Fortunately for Costello, the wound wasn't serious, but it convinced him to step down and let Genovese take over. Giganti was identified as a shooter, but Costello later claimed he couldn't recognize the attacker, so this Giganti guy was acquitted of attempted murder charges, which that makes if you're doing this whole big web of illegal activity, I feel like that's what these people always do. Well, yeah, because it's they like, would be like, "Oh, I don't remember," or "Oh, I didn't see," or whatever. Right, yeah. Think about it, because if they do name them, then there's yeah. probably fifty other guys below this guy who are now pissed off. That yeah, there's another way to yeah, they're going to jail, so they're going to come after you. The easiest thing to do is just be like, "Oh, sorry, I don't recall. I didn't see him. Didn't get a clear yeah." view of his face and with Costello out of the way Genovese and Gambino allegedly arranged then for Anastasia's murder so they just like we can take like out everybody I feel like that's all these monster people do yeah it's just a lot of killing each other and it's like at that point like I don't even understand why you would be interested in being in it because you obviously you can't trust anybody you can't trust anyone and it's like inevitably someone's gonna come after you at some point yeah and you might luck out and they don't kiss you but you might not yeah so gambino passed the contract to joe perfacci who's another one that we'll be doing i think you might be doing him as well okay if you then passed it to joseph crazy joe and gallo's crew anastasia was killed on october 25th 1957 in a barber shop at the park sheraton hotel in midtown manhattan after this, Gambino finally took over as the new boss of the crime family, which was later renamed the Gambino crime family. So here we are. He's the, the big guy now. 
The family already controlled the Brooklyn waterfront, but Gambino wanted to expand, and he ended up branching out to gambling, construction, loan sharking, and securities fraud on Wall Street. Because, you know, why not? Why not add something else? Always securities, bro. I always got to be doing some fucking securities. <laughs> Gambino initially appointed Joseph Biondo as... Sorry, Biondo. I get my Italian... Okay. out there joseph biondo as underboss but he was later replaced by Agnello della croce in 1965 in november 1957 following the anastasia murder vincent the chin hey. genovese who had taken over the luciano crime family from frank costello because he killed him because that's what they do he aimed to legitimize his newfound authority by convening a nationwide Cosa Nostra gathering. Cosa Nostra is Italian for our thing. So he's just like, this is our club. <laughs> this is our thing. This is our thing. Genovese chose Stefano, the Undertaker, Magadino, the boss of Buffalo, New York, and a commission member to organize the Appalachian meeting. Appalachian, I think, is a town in New York. Magadino, in turn, selected Joseph Barbara, the crying boss of northeastern Pennsylvania, our area, it's where we live, along with his underboss, Russell Buffalino, to coordinate all the event details. During this Appalachian meeting, discussions revolved around various topics, including the influence of La Cosa Nostra in Cuba. So this encompassed matters like gambling and the smuggling of narcotics on the island. Which we all know, Cuba and drugs, kind of. They go hand in hand. The international trade of narcotics also occupied a significant portion of this agenda for this meeting, say. The meeting also addressed the interests and illicit activities related to the New York garment industry. This included providing loans to business owners and exerting control over garment center trucking operations. On November 14, 1957, mafiosi from the U.S. and Italy gathered at Barbara's estate in Appalachian. This is where state trooper Edgar Croswell became suspicious after he noticed the activities before the meeting. He was like, hold up. <laughs> Bunch of these mob mobs are first together. all congregating together. This looks a little sketchy. So when the police arrived, many of those mobsters fled by car or on foot. Some escaped through the surrounding woods. Some of them actually got held up in like a police barricade, but nothing ever really came of it. And although Gambino was thought to have attended this meeting, he wasn't caught. Genovese then started facing some legal troubles a little later on because he was implicated in a drug deal. I want to say he didn't actually do this one, but he was kind of framed and set up for it because, again, you can't trust anybody. You can't trust anybody. Sorry. Always coming after each other. Yeah. He ended up getting sentenced to 15 years in prison and passed away in 1969. So they did what they wanted, got him right out the way. Got rid of them. Luciano, that the other guy, Lucky Luciano, that was involved with all this shit, he passed away in 1962. His funeral was attended by hundreds of people in Naples, and he was buried in New York. Gambino gave the eulogy at his funeral. So, 
Genovese, he's in jail. He got screwed, got implicated in this drug deal, so he's out the picture. And after he went to prison, Gambino became the leader of the commission, which was this whole thing that they set up. Remember to divide territories. Divide, and divide, 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 avoid disputes, which they're not doing a great job. They're not doing a great job of <laughs> that. If, if that's what we were aiming for, you know, it doesn't seem like, like the dispute, you know, lets it. You know, it doesn't seem like the disputes really had a whole lot to do with territory and more so to do with they just want to rule it. They just want to be above everyone else yeah so i mean if y'all just stop killing each other i feel like there might not be a need really for the commission but hey who am i to say so gambino he strongly disliked trubs he wasn't really down with that he believed that dealing with heroin and cocaine would attract too much attention which he's not wrong yeah I that is I know very true personally two people and have done time and fed for trafficking drugs and, uh, they're great people they are great people um they just made bad choices sometimes you, they learned your lesson but like yeah it kind of attracts attention anyone in from his family that was involved in drug dealing would face the punishment of death so he just was not happy. He was not playing around. He's like, don't even try it, because I'll just, I will spite you. Because I am the boss. Exactly. During the 1960s, the Gambino family had around 500 soldiers and more than 1,000 associates. In 1962, Gambino's oldest son, Tommy Gambino, married Frances, the daughter of another mobster, Tommy Lucchesi. The wedding had over 1,000 guests, and Carlo Gambino gave Lucchesi a $30,000 gift. In, in return, Lucchesi handed over part of his rackets at Idle Wild Airport, which is now known as John F. Kennedy, in New York, to Gambino, with Lucchesi controlling airport management security and all the airport unions together, and these two guys dominating the airport, the commission, and much of the organized crime in general in New York City. Gambino also took control of another racket involving the garment industry. He infiltrated the truckers' union, which allowed him, I guess, to demand a percentage of every garment sold. I've never heard of such a thing. I guess getting the garments, you know, to and fro in the trucks, if he was in control of the truckers, taking a cut of their... He's taking a cut, yeah. In 1963, the head of the Bonanno crime family, Joseph Bonanno, who will be my next guy, planned to assassinate some of his rivals on the Mafia Commission. Because, like, what else do we do but fucking killing charge? That's it. That's the only way. <laughs> he targeted Gambino, Tommy Lucchesi, Stefano Magadino, and Frank D. Simone. Not sure if I got that one right. Bonanno sought support from Joseph Maglioco, who readily agreed because he was angry about not getting a seat on the commission and felt betrayed after Bonanno and Profonci were close allies for over 30 years. Like, it's a pretty ass mad and they go, they don't like me. They're, well, they're pretty whiny. They're better <laughs> friends than they, with each other than they are with me. Mm -hmm. Like, come on, come on. 
Bonato's plan was to take over the commission and make Malioki, Malioko, that, that name too, also the Italian pronunciation, I was like, what? I had to listen to it like 15 times and I finally gave up because it was all like, Maggie, oh, and I was like, whoa, what? You were like, what? <laughs> I didn't catch that. A lot of sounds. I can't do it. This Malioko was given the task of killing Lucchesi and Gambino, and he hired one of his top hitmen, Joseph Colombo, for the job. However, Colombo decided to reveal this plot to the targets. He switched up on them. And when these other bosses learned about the plan, they realized Malioko couldn't have organized it on his own. Considering the close relationship between Bonanno and this Malioko guy, and previously with Profaci and their ties through marriages, they suspected Bonanno was the true mastermind behind all of this. So the commission was like, hey, um, explain yourselves. Fearing for his wife, Bonanno went into hiding in Montreal, leaving Malioko to face the commission alone. Malioko, who was in bad shape both mentally and physically, confessed to his role in the plot. Probably scared shitless. I mean, I can only imagine. It's probably very tough, like, being in these... It's a life of stress, like... Yeah, I mean, I say was I did do that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I would just be full of anxiety constantly. Constantly, like, somebody looked at you the wrong way and you're like, I get... Yeah, you'd be thinking they were going to come out. And it's like walking down the street, constantly looking over your shoulder like, who's Yeah, exactly. No, no, thank you. The commission spared his life, but forced him to retire as the boss of the Profaci family and pay a fine of $50,000. As a reward for turning against his boss, Colombo was given control of the Profaci family. So it's just like constant rotating, like, just the turnaround of these guys. Always. Gambino himself liked to maintain a quiet existence and stay out of the radar, which makes sense. I mean, feel like a jail. But in 1969, his associate John Gotti and his brother Gene were caught hijacking a cargo truck at JFK Airport. This incident brought attention to Gambino, which he was less than thrilled about. Yeah, he's not really excited about that if he, sh- he tries to keep a low profile. Mm-hmm. Well, the next year, in 1970... He was accused of conspiring to hijack an armored car with $3 million in it and was arrested on March 23rd of that year. He got out on bail of $75,000, and his trial never actually took place because of his health. He had, like, a lot of heart problems and stuff. The same year, the Supreme Court upheld a deportation order from 1967, which he had previously appealed because he had entered the country illegally. As we remember, he was yeah. stowaway on a ship. He did not immigrate here. He stuck in. When the government tried to execute this order, Gamina suffered a massive heart attack and was taken to the hospital. In the late 60s, this Colombo guy had set up the Italian-American Civil Rights League to protest prejudice against Italians, a.k.a. people assuming every Italian was a member. Was a member of the mob, but, like, these guys don't remember this. I was, I was, like, laughing about it. I was like, what's the irony here? Like, you, they, all, they all think we're all members of the mob. You are, because you are. Well, I mean, they were. And you, yeah, not every Italian. Not every Italian is, but they were. The being for sure were. And Gambino, again, because he didn't like any attention, he didn't like that Colombo was doing this, 
because there was media attention that was coming to them and he was like hey this is going to attract the fbi yeah. and that is not what we want that is the exact opposite of what you want so take a wild guess on what he decided to do Killing? Yep. <laughs> oh my god, she got it right. I'm so shocked. <laughs> how how would we think he would do that? Yeah, so he was like, oh, no, no, I'm going to take out Colombo. Yeah, sorry, bro, you cannot be bringing attention. On June 28, 1971, Colombo held a rally for his league in Columbus Circle in New York City. During that event, Jerome Johnson shot Colombo three times with one of the shots hitting him in the head. So... He's done. He's done for, for sure. Yeah. Colombo's bodyguards quickly killed Johnson after the shooting, but that incident left Colombo paralyzed, and he later passed away in 1978. So he did live seven years. Wow. Of, you know. Impressive. Paralyzed, which, that, you know, sucks. But, I mean, also, you could just not be in the mob, and this kind of stuff probably wouldn't have video. That is very true. After the shooting, some people in the Colombo family thought Joe Gallo was responsible, but the police eventually concluded that Johnson acted alone after questioning Gallo. Which, I mean, Gallo wasn't going to be like, yeah, it was me. Yep, <laughs> I did it. You got me. There was a theory that Johnson had spent time at a club associated with the Gambino family before the shooting, leading to speculation that Gamb- Gambino might have been involved, which, ding, 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 he was. Why? It was the guy that actually put him up to it. I don't know why they thought they got he actually wasn't this time, I don't think. But it's, it's kind of hard to keep track, because they all just killing each other. That's true, but do you keep doing that? Another thing that had people kind of, you know, ringing a little alarm bell that might have been Gambino was that Colombo didn't listen to him when he was complaining about all this in the league, and he even had an argument where he had allegedly spat in Gambino's face. So, yeah, that's probably not something you want to do. Crime to a crime boss. Yeah, exactly. That's just not. That's like setting a target right on you. Now, the Colombo family leadership believed that Gallo ordered the murder because he had a falling out with the family. So Gallo, of course, was killed on April seventh. So then he gets killed too because people think he did it. Yeah. So Gallo, he's gone. Is April seventh, nineteen seventy-two. They take him out. And then Gerardo Catina became the new boss, but he got into trouble with the law and was sent to jail in 1970. And this was after Genovese, the other guy, had passed away. So now this Thomas Ebola took on the role of the front boss for the family, but he really wanted to be the true leader of the Genovese family. To make progress in his position, Ebola, Ebola, such a weird... I guess Weird. that's actually a trinone in Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. I just keep thinking of the disease. Yeah, the disease in Bola, yeah. Anyway, he borrowed $4 million from none other than Gambino, who was also the chairman of the commission. This Ebola planned to use his money for a new drug trafficking operation. Unfortunately for him, the police soon shut down his drug racket and arrested many of his crew members. So then Gambino and his underboss, this Agnello Della Croce, they asked Ebola to return their money because he obviously wasn't going to be using it, and he couldn't pay it back. So this led to Gambino allegedly ordering his murder because of the debt. You know, he can't pay him back because he can't pay him back the 
Can't pay him You're back. You're of no use to Listen, him. Listen, if you can't pay him back, you die. If you do drugs, deal drugs, I should say, you die. If you spit in his face, you die. Seeing a pattern. Yes. Don't do anything. Just don't frost this man. You die. <laughs> Some believe that Gambino actually wanted to replace Evil Eye with his ally, Frank Funzi Thierry, and he used the drug trafficking operation to set up Evil Eye. So, then. I mean, we don't know, but they are under the impression that Gambino just kind of set up the whole thing in a way to make it so that he had a reason to kill this guy. On July 16th, 1972, Ebola left his girlfriend's apartment in Brooklyn and sat in his chauffeured Cadillac car. A gunman passing by in a truck shot him five times, hitting him in the head and neck, causing instant death. No one was ever charged with his murder. You know what baffles me is how no one is ever charged in a lot of these murders. Like, they have to know who it was. They just... But there's, like... I guess letting go. There's a lack of evidence. But like, there's also, when they are questioned, even if they know, they claim that they... They claim they don't. Oh, yeah. The target on their back. Weird. And then a lot of times the police are in with all this shit, you know? That is drive. Is there's a lot of bribery. Yeah. In, in the police and... Yeah, not especially in this kind of stuff. I mean, there's a lot of people that if you're earning it, are getting that. Well, we watched um, what the fuck is that show? It was on TV about all the mob stuff. It was on like HBO or whatever. Uh, The Prince, perhaps. Yeah, we watched that a long, 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 long time ago. And like, yeah, they always do have like cops that are eating in their dirty uncles. Yeah, and dirty cops. Deportation procedures against Gambino had originally started in 1953, but they didn't make much progress due to his heart condition and frequent hospital stays. And every time that they'd start to get somewhere, he would, you know, miraculously have a heart attack or something. And who knows if it was real or if he was just using it, playing it out. I mean, it's really a little <laughs> bit of both. Who knows? And he eventually passed away at his home in Massapequa on Friday, October 15th, 1976 at the age of 74 years. He died from natural causes, which was expected because he had this history of heart disease and had already had heart attacks. Cool. Which, you know, and this is the only one we've seen so far, die of natural causes. Gambino made it, you know. And in the world of the mob. In the world of the mob, that's the most very rare. rare. Yeah, that's, that is rare. The wake for Gambino was held at the Cusimano and Russo funeral home on October 16th and 17th. His funeral mass took place on Monday, October 18th at the Church of Our Lady of Greece in Brooklyn. After the funeral, Gambino was laid to rest in the cloister building of St. John Cemetery in Queens in a private room for his family. Many people, I think over a thousand people actually, attended his funeral and wake, including plainclothes police officers and FBI agents who were watching the situation from outside. The funeral procession had 13 limousines, around a dozen private cars, and one flower car. Gambino chose his cousin, Paul Castellano, to be his successor instead of his underboss, Della Croce. I mean, that makes sense. It does, but it doesn't. I mean, it is Della Croce. You get that other person, yeah. your under person, and they were doing all the stuff for you. Yeah. You should have been next in line. Yeah. But we got a little bit of nepotism going on, you know, so we do the cousin instead. He thought that Castellano's focus on white-collar businesses would benefit their crime family. 
At that time, Delacroce was in prison for tax evasion, so he couldn't exactly challenge the appointment. And what are you yeah, there was nothing. They had a meeting on November 24th to confirm Castellano as the new boss, and Delacroce was present at that meeting. Castellano made an arrangement to keep Delacroce as the underboss, but put him in charge of traditional mafia activities like extortion, robbery, and loan sharking. So he was doing more. This Castellano guy was doing more of the white collar, like behind the scenes, like sneaky shit that like wasn't as obvious. Were but... they just like a front? Yeah, and like Delacroce is doing, you know, the straight up robbery. Okay. And we're gonna cook this. He's doing the rook stuff. Yeah. While Delacroce accepted this arrangement, it ultimately created two rival factions within the Gambino family. So, you know, here we go again. But I'm not going to get into all of that because my segment was on Gambino and not any people after Gambino. He, he did. So, darn. Yeah, so, but after he passed away, he ended up creating somehow still more, even after he died, through a trauma conflict. Oh, gosh. By appointing this other dude instead of the one that he really should have, and now they don't like each other, and I'm sure it wreaked all sorts of havoc. Well, I'm sure it did, because that's all these dudes do. Yeah. I'm gonna say women are dramatic, but we aren't all out there just killing each other. Because <laughs> we want... Because we want to be the big boss. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Same. Um, but anyway... Um, I hope you enjoyed that, and we're gonna have three more as we cover the next three guys that this character is based on. We got Bonanno, Profaci, and Cast Costello. Yes, yes, coming up. So we're gonna finish those up, and we hope that you enjoy them. I mean, some of that stuff was a little hard for me to follow. I must have cast a lot of just because you were just saying. And then also we know I'm sorry. I had to I had to like reread things a bunch of times and then I watched the documentary on them and I'm like documentaries help me a lot because Oh yeah, they, they are, are very helpful. I do like a lot better with spoken words. Like I hear it and I retain it better. Like I'm reading it. I definitely agree. All of these damn names as Anastasia Costello. Yeah, it all kind of Yeah, it's some auto where I'm just like, Who's who and what and why are they killed? What's up? <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, and I'm just, absolutely, the mafia is not a world I'd ever want to be involved in. No, sure. not me either. But, um, you know, as usual, it's, it seems too good to be true. It is. And don't kill each other just because you want to be the boss. And if you want to find us... Yeah, please don't do that. If you want to find us on our socials, there's a link in our show notes. For whatever reason, it got deleted from the last two episodes. I don't know what happened, but I'm going to pop it back in there. Sure. I know it's not going to get corrected. But yeah, then the, that link will be in this one too. And then also the links to leave a voice message if you want to monetarily support us or to send us an email. Our email is too good to be true pod at outlook.com. And if you have stuck with us since the beginning, thanks. Thanks. But we appreciate you. Yeah. Well, bye. Bye.